The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. All right, so 2011, uh, good to see all of you. So let's, um, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, Paul continues in a presentation, the argument, uh, um, an essay about connecting to God through Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> he talks about some of the practical stuff that goes on. You know, there's bumps in the roads. There seems to be, you know, three steps forward, one back, two steps forward, three back. And, you know, progress isn't always linear upward and, and over. And so as he's addressing some of the, the, let's say, in this respect for us who are not Jewish and we didn't live with some of the rules and regulations of that faith... But let's say you had some sort of religious traditions or training where um, there was driven home, driven into you or driven into us the sense that you have to do, you have to have to be loved. And so since we got that from our, um, in our religious institutions, then we also carry it into our relationships. Or we get that from our relationships and we carry that over to God. So Paul is kind of touching around some of these things, so... Um, take a listen. Verse 14 of chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual. But I'm unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. But as it is, it is no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, well, this I keep on doing. And so now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And you thought you heard voices in your head, right? <laughs> so Paul continues, verse 21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the, the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched person I am, and who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So, um, how many of you have done the annual self-humiliating ritual of resolutions? Right? You guys have done that? No? I mean, some of you have, right? Yeah, okay, good. So, we, we, you write these down. <laughs> Maybe you bought a book. Um, you're going to lose weight, gain weight. You're going to quit smoking. You're going to stop drinking and driving because you don't want to spill anymore. Uh, you're... You're, you're, going to, you know, you're going to make changes in your life. You're going to be a better person, right? And, but deep down inside, you hear that little tiny voice, you big liar. You, you, won't, you won't even look at my list. You won't even look at me in February. You know, you, this is not... You're, going to, you're doing to yourself what you did the last several Januaries, right? And so in some level, in fact, there was a conversation uh, the other night with a friend. Uh, she made the comment, oh, so do you believe in resolutions? I'm like, well, you know... I, 
I'm not anti them, I just because I happen to go to a church, I, I, I know they exist, you know, I don't, I don't deny their reality, but, but uh, the funny thing is, is that I, I don't practice them, because I've often thought they're kind of an all or nothing, you know, proposition. I'm going to lose weight, which, you know, you step on the scale, you've gain three pounds, you go, oh, I'm not doing any good. So it, it seems like, you know, rather than making these resolutions that, that are huge and big, you know, we don't celebrate the small steps, you know, like, I'm just going to cut out Coke, see where that leads me, or that kind of thing. Still, many of us will make spiritual resolutions, you know, I, I, I have this thing that seems to be missing in my life, I want to connect, I know that I'm not really healthy in this area of my life, and so I want to move forward in that place. So we make spiritual resolutions or personal development resolutions. But what's curious to me, as I've seen this happen over the past 53 Januaries that I've experienced, is why did we land on January to do that? You know, why January? You know, I mean, I know why not the summer, because all of us are having too much fun to consider our self-worth and personal improvement, right? But why January? Because it's, quote, the new year. And, and it's always surprising to me how there's such a celebratory mood on December 31st anyways. Because, you know, this is just the cynic and the dark side of me speaking. So, right, you know, hey, it could be worse. I mean, you, you know, why do you think the next year will be better? It could actually be worse. There could be more tragedy facing you yet coming, you know. And you're dancing on your own grave. Do you not know that it could be, you know, the ship is sinking and the band is playing? then I'm better at times, and I realize it's not always that bad. Um, but uh, I began to think about that. So if I don't do this thing in January, so when would I do it? When do you, let's say, rather than a resolution, let's, let's say a realignment or a recalibration. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not maybe headed in the right direction, so how do I recalibrate? And to what? Any of you, if you're a chiropractor or you go see a chiropractor, right, you go for maintenance, not just when you're in pain, because it's the maintenance that keeps you from getting, you know, jacked up. I think that's the technical term. Um, just like we hopefully take care of our cars, you know. So uh, then the next question comes back is, so then when was the last time you felt connected to God? If you ever have. If I, there was a sense of, I, I sense not just his presence where I'm ashamed and feel guilty, but his presence is energizing. I sense his presence as pleasure. Now, for some of us, that might seem kind of foreign because the, the, the traditions we were raised with, you know, it was be and do and you better be. And, you know, and, you know if you don't do the right thing, there's, there's trouble. Um, but, you know, if you read the scriptures, that doesn't seem to be the God that's actually portrayed. <clears throat> so, when was the last time you felt connected? Have you felt connected? Um, uh, you know, actually, here's the bigger question. Do you want to connect with God? Because if, um, if there really isn't a desire to connect with God in the first place, then, you know, why do this on Sunday mornings? And it's okay if you don't want to. But at least if you're honest with yourself, saying, you know what, I really don't want to. Then you're not wasting time and energy pursuing something that really, in the end, you don't want. Because maybe somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, he might have let you down. Wasn't where he was supposed to have been, didn't do what you thought he should have done. So as I was thinking about this, I remembered, uh, those of you who are old enough to remember, um, well, I guess there was always comics around. How many of you remember the comic paperback books, Peanuts? Remember that? Uh, any rate, so those of you who remember that, any of you 
Does anybody still own those books? Anybody still have copies of them? You do? Okay. Are they the original prints? The old ones? You can, yeah, I know you're a collector in that respect. Um, I began to think about this, that who laughs at those comics? They're not funny. Because I, I, I own them. I used to collect them. I mean, you know, I had the peanuts, and I would eagerly await the next book to come out. And in 1985, Charles Schultz, the cartoonist, in 1985 pointed out that in the comic strips, every love is unrequited. There's never a baseball game won. The scorer on the grades are always D minus. The football is always pulled away. Nobody wins. And I began to think about it. I go, He's right. Why did we, you know, why was I so into peanuts? You know, and the only person who looked like he had it together was the dog. <laughs> then I began to remember, I was kind of a skinny, sulky, easily upset child. You know, I, I was emo before it was even cool. I mean, I was that, was that kid. I, I didn't play sports, shocker, I know, and uh, didn't like to even go outside. And so... I would read this and I would want to be sad and alone with my Peanuts characters. Like, see, yes, they get me. Charlie Brown, you know, I am, I am Carlos Cafe. I am that guy. That's Charlie Brown, see. Um. <laughs> and so even now, sometimes the most solid, familiar feeling to me is wanting to be sad, alone, and apart. Like, I get, like you know, like that's... Because that's healthy, right? That is, you know, that makes you an authentic human being. <laughs> and it's still there. It's, there's remnants of it. And it's, it's, a, it's available if I have a bad week. It, it will oblige me. Welcome, come in. Your table's ready, sir. Here's a glass of bitter. With the side of your daddy let you down. Thank you. <laughs> How's the sorrow this evening? It's very good, sir. Uh, so, you know, there was, uh, the, uh, but by the way, that's mine. Most of you have your thing, right? You have a default mode that if you're not careful, you'll find yourself getting, you know, drawn to something. For some of you, it's arrogance. For some of you, it's conceit. For some of you, it's some appetites that there's not been managed well. And, you know, it could be a very kind of a sensual thing or, uh, but all of us have some kind of default mode that we're going to flip back into. We can flip back into if we're not careful. And so I think that's why we want to make resolutions to get better. Forgetting that it is God who does the work anyways in us, who does the, as a friend and I were talking this morning, who does the unwrapping, who does the unwrapping. A friend of mine was asking me, you know, so you and your wife have been married 31 years. I said, yes, it's been exhausting for her. So, because um, what's that like? I go, oh, bro, it's simple. It's like an onion. Because what do you mean? You're always unwrapping another, peeling back another layer. It never stops. There's always something to peel back. And, and, I go, and sometimes those layers make you cry, you know, but generally it's, a, it's just one thing after the other, but it's all good. Um, but, so, but kind of so, so how it is with us, if you begin this walk or journey with God through Christ, there's going to be something, you know? There's not this forever enemy within yourself fighting you. It's just this constant unwrapping to make you more human, right? We get eager. Why isn't it faster? Why isn't it quicker? Why isn't it more permanent? Um, but God is kind and faithful. He continues the unwrapping process for us, even when we take steps backward. In fact, I think even in the steps backward is part of the process.
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and 8. This is a version called The Message. The author wrote this, Hey, appreciate your pastoral leaders who gave you the word of God. Take a good look at the way they live. And let their faithfulness instruct you as well as their truthfulness. There should be a consistency that runs through us all. Why? For Jesus doesn't change yesterday, today, tomorrow. He's always totally himself. When uh, I used to uh, be that guy would read stories of, of, you know, noteworthy followers of Jesus and interesting people who did these great acts of reform, you know, um, from the Mother Teresa's to the Dr. King's in our world. And, you know, the thing about reading about great people is that you always feel smaller afterwards. It's, for some of you, it might be inspiring. You're like, oh, yes, I'm going to try. But like, oh, man, I've done nothing with my life. And, and yet, I find that it's those places that I forget, well, wait a minute, God is the same God that he was for this man, for this woman, this individual, this time. So if, if, is it possible that if I'm not experiencing that, that's not a referendum on God, but maybe something I'm not connected to correctly yet? That is still also part of the process because every significant voice for Christ has had a process. They've gone through a dry spell, a tough time, a doubt, a fear, a valley. They've gone through the dark night of the soul where it didn't, feel like they were going to pop up on the other end in light and hope. Now, in speaking about where I experienced God, and some of you, hopefully you're asking yourself this question as well, because it it would probably be best to answer that, to understand if that's the environment where I was, then what is the environment I need to be in to experience God? I recall that uh, people have asked, hey, how do you hear the voice of God? What is that like to you? I said, well, oddly, sometimes it sounds like Lilia. Uh, you know, you know it, I think God is kind enough to speak to us wherever we're, we're tuned into. I, I, I'm not denying, obviously, that the scriptures are the final authority of his voice to us. But you'll notice that if you're looking or open, he'll speak to you. Have you noticed this? You have those moments when you've stepped. How many of you have experienced a piece of art and for some reason you move to emotion? You're not sure why. Right? Maybe you're, uh, it, it's, in, it's in a song that seems to like just fill you and you're, you can't get it. Like, what is going on here? I know some of you, I've heard of this. You experience God in nature. That just seems odd. I don't get that. Um. <laughs> I do remember being out once, I was actually, uh, there was one summer I wasn't working, spent, took the money out of savings account, we went surfing for a few days and weekends at, in Huntington Beach. I got the spiritual thing is surfing. But after I got it, I thought, good, I got it, I'm done with it, you know, so I was cool with it. But I thought, oh, I get why people are out there though. Now for me, it's always music and films, where it's, you just... It seems that I filter that, what I'm experiencing from my template of scriptures. Oh, this is what God is saying. This makes sense now. But I've noticed that even when there's a moment or an emotion where I wish to be sad and feel like that skinny, sulky kid again, that I realize that God is still there as well. That there's always hope and acceptance and love. He's always been these things. He always will be these things. He's the God who's actually there. Uh, Apart from 
the way that we attach significance to things that are not significant at all. He's actually the God who is there. And he's good. And he's kind. And he seeks us. So here's the question. Is there a way to get back to him to continue our forward momentum? Or is he actually the forward momentum to begin with? You know, sometimes we're so utilitarian as Westerners that we, that, you know, we think of God as an option, so we become better. And uh, I, I just wonder if that kind of cheapens the relationship, you know, between he and us, where it's a, it's a tool versus um, we're just drawn by his beauty. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul writes, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, that's, that's going to happen. This is the process that you step into when you connect to God through Jesus Christ. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. So um, let's just carry this a little bit further. Is it possible that the times that we feel our shortcomings, mm, the dry spells, the failures, are actually not keeping us from experiencing God, but are meant for us to experience him? Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not telling you, Go out and get freaky weird tonight so that you can experience God, right? What I'm saying to you is that in, your, in our attempts to journey forward, there are going to be times it seems like we have backward steps. And we're going to look at that as, this, this, is, this is who I am. And whenever we experience a sense of failure or back, taking steps backward or backward momentum, we, we tend to lose a little bit of hope as if we will never change. Instead of, that's also part of the process. Uh, I heard a lovely um, metaphor for this that made total sense. How many of you enjoy, you know, if you do this, you like or you're impressed or sort of moved by looking at the stars at night or the moon? You know, it's a shame that we didn't have that, uh, we didn't, because of the rain, we didn't get to see the lunar eclipse. Was that uh, December something? When was that? It was huge, big, you know, like three-quarter lunar eclipse. We won't see it again until 2485. At any rate, um, in these past few nights, they've been so clear, even with the light pollution, when you look up in the sky, you see those cool stars. And if you have the, you know, if, if you're a sensible, God-fearing person and you have an iPhone you, um, or an iPad, because you're really committed to Christ, then you bought the Starwalk app. And it, what's cool about it is no matter how you position it, it'll match the sky. So you'll, it'll tell you what you're looking at and all the planets and stars behind that you can't see. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Or the moon when it's out in its gorgeous brilliance, right? And it dawned on me with this metaphor that the only time you can see that is at night when it's dark, when the earth is covered and with blanketed with darkness. All right, so here's the metaphor. Is it possible... That when we have those moments that we think, goodness, I'm just such a jerk and an idiot. I can't get off this thing I'm doing. 
that that is actually meant for us to experience God. Because we keep thinking, I got to try harder, do more, you know, lift myself up by my own spiritual bootstraps to be pleasing to God. I got to do and have to be pleasing to God. And boy, that's just goofy and backwards. So let me give it to you. I think the order that it actually is. I think we are pleasing to God automatically. I think he loves us incredibly. I think he means, we mean so much to him that he would cross heaven and earth to get to us. And he refuses to let us go. And if we insist, he insists over my dead body. And so once we experience that I am pleasing to him and he loves me, you know what I'm free to do? I'm free to do and have then for him as a human being. My humanity is recovered. And this is where I, you know, and again and again I hear that refrain that I know I've shared with you guys last year a lot. You know, love always wins in the end. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, 8a. Love always wins. If, you know, it's in the Bible, so I mean, I tend to think it's true. Paul wrote it, love never fails. And so it's, it's, it's his love that sets us free. So let me suggest to you that all the resolutions, hey, that's great. You know what, if, you have a, if you're going to do it, awesome. You know, run the marathon. Do what you're going to do. Awesome. However, if you don't make it, it's okay. You're still pleasing to God. Let his love set you free. Experience that. Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse, well, Romans 8 again, uh, verse 1 reads this Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin. Now, verse, drop down to verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Just, just stop for a moment. Before we go fast any further, is that possible? That what you need, crave, lack, he will give it to you. I, you know, I, I want a relationship that's meaningful. I'm looking for work that has significance. I want to know that I'm contributing to something that matters beyond my grave. Let me continue here. Verse 33. So who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, who was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So, you know, Paul's saying this. Look, if... I, I, I understand that some of us might be here in this room and we're not buying this God thing. I get it. Someone dragged you here. It's New Year's Day. You're like, okay, I'm going to shut them up and I'm going to come. I get that. That's fine. But just pretend it's true. Pretend there's a God who is the creator of everything, who loves you incredibly, who's so for you. It, you know, his nature is what's good and right and healthy for us in humanity. And let's say he says, I don't hold anything against you. Who else in the universe can say, yes, but there's this. Well, I, I, I've forgiven everything. There's no one else that can bring a charge. And if, it's, if Christ is the Lord of all, that, that God has placed all things and power and authority under his feet, I said, so who else can condemn us? Well, then Paul goes on to unwrap that further. Well, listen, Christ died for your sins so that you wouldn't be condemned. So if he's done that, who else can condemn you? Nobody. Now, do, can you hopefully step into that, maybe how freeing that might be to that... God 
releases us from the power and the shame of our darkness and unhealth. Let's just go old school. He saves us from our own sins, the guilt and the shame of it, and the power of it. All of it. Um, what shall we, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, let me stop here just a quick moment as we get to finish here. If you're thirsty, what conquers thirst? Beer. Now, what conquers thirst? <laughs> just, I'm just considering the crowd. I'm just that's trying to be relevant to the culture that I'm speaking to. Some people might answer, uh, water. Um, okay. If you're, if you're hungry, what conquers hunger? Tamales. Right. Exactly. So think about what Paul is saying here, that in all these things that we're short, coming up short in, he says, we're going to be more than conquerors. I, I'm, just, I, I'm not going to have you just experience what, exactly what you need so that you barely make it through, but I'm, I'm transforming you into a different life completely. Verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers... Neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an amazing passage, isn't it? So, in closing, try this on. Dump the resolutions and maybe resolve instead to experience the love of Christ for you individually. Not this corporate, yes, I know God loves me. Right? Because we all, we, you know, we get that, right? We're up here. If, if I gave you an exam, does God love you, true or false? You would say, true. Have you experienced it? Uh, uh, you know, that's different. I'm convinced of this. When you experience this for your life, it sets you free. Your humanity is unleashed. You begin to become whole. And you become the person you were meant to be by experiencing the love of God through Jesus Christ. So, let me close and dismiss with prayer. Father, we're starting a whole new year, and for many of us, 2010 was quite enough at 365 days. Um, there was things lost for us. We took steps backward relationally. We took steps backward in our careers and our financial situations for many folks, homes or businesses were lost. Um, and yet, in many, many ways, through that fire, you were always consistent and, and always speaking to us and, and moving the events around, the pieces on the board for us to come out, representing your son a little bit more, resembling him more, shaping us, molding us, you know, working through us, giving us the things that we really actually did desire, which was to become more and more like your son, Christ. Some of us went through it kicking and screaming. <laughs> and the, the nail scratches are still on the floorboards. And so it is, it seems to be like through pain and through mess, um, we gain wisdom by your grace. And so for that, we're thankful. 
Now 2011 is here. We are a small but fairly vocal representation of your mystic body throughout the globe here in Whittier manifested. I pray that we continue to be a positive influence in this city. Pray by the, even today as we give uh, in the blood drive friendships that we make that, that this community, these, these people, us, who we are, that folks would be drawn to you because of how we care for each other and how we care for them in or out of communities, no matter what choices, what lifestyles they have, who they are, you love them and help us to be those who represent you well and love them as well. You are good beyond measure, kind beyond words. We look forward to this new year with hope. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.